0: Hey everyone, this is Chad Arms, pastor of Creekside Bible Church. Thanks for taking some time to listen to my latest sermon, a sermon about the forgotten letters of the New Testament. It will play in just a minute, but before it does, I want to extend to you a huge and heartfelt thank you. Our sermons podcast, this podcast right here, had over 11,000 listens last year. That is a huge number for a church our size, and it blesses my heart to think of all of the lives that were touched through our audio recordings going out. This is only possible because you faithfully listen and because you leave us ratings and reviews and share this podcast with other people. And so thank you. Thank you. Thank you. We'll do our best in the next year to keep putting out great sermons. And I hope that this one right here will help you to learn and live more fully for the glory of God. Uh, Today we are looking at the book of Philemon and as I said earlier I think this is a a really uh, important passage of scripture for today in our society and and what's happening in our world. Uh, (laughs) Frankly when I was planning it uh, I just kind of said well in the summer, I like to explore books of the Bible, places in Scripture that I don't know very well because we have less people at church and it's a good time for me to learn some things and teach some things. But as I studied, I, I started to see that this book is not necessarily something that's going to teach us something that we don't know, especially if you've grown up in church, but even if you haven't but it's going to provide an incredible reminder. What, what this book really says is something that I've known forever, but something that I really easily forget, and, and even more, more to the point, and this is what's so beautiful about this book and, and, and the ending, and that is that it reminds us of how powerful the truth that we'll see in the book uh, how powerfully it can change a person's life and, and even change, uh, change culture. And, and so today, what we're really going to answer is, is this question. What should I base my relationships on? And you can probably make a guess as to what that is. But what, what, is, what is the basis for a, a good relationship? Any kind of relationship really, but uh, any type of interpersonal relationship, what, what should be the foundation, what should be the basis, what should drive it, what, what should be at the heart of it, at the center of it. And in the book of Philemon, we have an incredible answer uh, to, to that question, what should be the basis of my relationships. And so today as we look at this book of Philemon, it requires a great deal of setup because it's it's unlike any other book in the New Testament, really, it's unlike any other book in the New Testament. It's it's the only uh, book, at least written by Paul, that's a completely personal letter, written from Paul to this guy named Philemon. I mean, it's like, you get to look at this guy's mail. Paul has this letter delivered to him, and It's it's different in that regard, because usually when Paul writes, he's writing to a church or a group of churches, right? But here he's writing to a single individual about a very specific situation, and the specific situation is one that we can take some guesses about, we can surmise some things about, but the book would be much easier to understand if we just had like the whole story. I mean, imagine getting... Somebody's mail, right? And and there's a letter penned from somebody to them, and 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 you just kind of come in on the advice about a situation, but you don't know the situation. <clears throat> and thankfully, in the book of Philemon, there's these clues, and and I'm gonna do my best right now to to kind of give you the backstory as best as we can tell. There's lots of debates, and there's lots of different opinions, but everything is pretty close to what I'm about to say. And, And so the situation is this. There's a slave named Onesimus, and he has wronged his slave owner, a guy named Philemon. And apparently, even before he wronged his slave owner, he was he was a, a useless slave. Verse 11 of the book, it's only one chapter, so I won't talk in chapters and verses, but verse 11 of the book says, "Formerly he was useless to you, talking about Onesimus, this slave. Funny enough, his name means useful, and so there's a weird play on words there. Uh, but he's like this useless slave who, who has wronged his master. Now, pause, ready, because this is, this is what's going to bother you about the book. Uh, isn't slavery wrong? And, and we hopefully all can answer that with, with a, just the easiest, simplest yes, right? Like slavery is bad. We know that in the history of our country, people have used the Bible to try to push slavery. Uh, but when you read the Bible, nothing about it pushes the idea of slavery. I, I think if Jesus was standing next to me, that Jesus would, I don't think, I'm, I'm certain Jesus would tell you that slavery is a bad institution, that, that it has evil behind it. But one of the things that bothers people about the works of Paul is that Paul speaks about slavery to slaves, to slave masters, but never says, stop having slavery. Like, get rid of it, it's evil, it needs to end altogether. And I'm not going (laughs) to, I would do a very poor job if I was going to answer for Paul this morning. But I do feel a need to defend Paul, because, because Paul gets this bad rap. He gets this rap that he might have been into slavery and he was okay with it and, and he also gets this other bad rap that that he that he suppressed women and the role of women in society, but nothing could be further from the truth. Outside of Jesus, no person moved slaves or women forward more than this man named Paul who penned this letter. And while Paul never goes as far as we'd like by our modern day standards, like, hey, abolish slavery, right? That's what we would like. We would like a verse that says abolish this system. Paul goes, Paul goes, Paul goes, So much further than than really anybody else in his society was going for furthering the place of slaves for helping them. Frankly, if Paul would have come along and said abolish slavery, nobody would have listened to him anyway. And so what he does, and I'm going to quote somebody here, what a letter like this does is to bring an atmosphere in which the institution could only wilt and die. Paul paints this picture of a slave slave-owner relationship that really just over time will kill the institution of slavery. In fact, it's really interesting here because this letter that we're going to read while some would look at it and say, why doesn't Paul say slavery is bad? It's the only letter from its time in history where somebody that we have on record that, is, that history has kept, where somebody is writing on the behalf of a runaway slave, defending them, pushing their place forward, trying to help them. And so I just pause to say, yes, we all agree slavery is bad, it's evil, but Paul's writing in a time where it would have done absolutely no good for him to come out and say, end it. I mean, it would have just done nothing. In fact, in fact, and, and we'll see this throughout, he... he, he it's a weird book in Paul, because if you read any of Paul's letters, he's, he's pretty forceful a lot of times when he's talking to churches, like, you do this, I'm going to come there and I'm going to make you do this. But in this book, he's really subtle, he's really soft, he's not writing to a church, he's writing to an individual, and I think what Paul understands as he writes this is that if he comes down with a heavy hand, then he's actually going to accomplish nothing except for people to say no. No. But instead he uses this incredible tact in this book that's it's really crazy, I mean, if you've read Paul at all, like I said. But we'll see this story has an incredible ending. And Paul actually accomplishes something that I don't think he could have accomplished by saying, just in slavery. So that's the setup. I just wanted to get that out there, and I'm not going to deal with that throughout the book. I just needed to have it out there. Uh, It it needs to be in front of us. Paul moves moves the place of slaves forward as as much as anybody in our history. And so, with that out there in front of us, just we we got that. Paul loves this young man. We'll see that in a second. Paul's writing this book because this slave, by social standards at the time, was useless, he was not a good slave, and he had wronged his slave owner in some way, in fact, verse 18 says, if he has done you any wrong or owes you anything, charge it to me, and so we get a glimpse, and we see, wow, so this Onesimus character has has been a a non-helpful slave, he's run away and not only that but apparently he did something that was detrimental to the financial situation of Philemon his owner we don't know what that is I mean, he may have embezzled money, he may have stolen money, he may have just run away because to run away from your owner was seen as robbery in that uh, time of history because uh, you were taking away from his financial gain. We don't know exactly what it is, but we know he's like, he's strike three here, right? Like, one, just wasn't very helpful to Philemon, two, he's wronged him financially in some way, and three... He's run away, which was a really bad thing to do. Uh, being a runaway slave was was punishable in in very bad ways. I mean, you could be jailed, you could be beaten, you could be branded or or worse i mean. This was what happened to runaway slaves. It is not dissimilar to what we think about in our own country's history when you think about uh, what took place in slavery in our country. You think about how bad it would have been for a runaway slave. You think of how dangerous that was for African-American people in our country. And it was similar for a first century slave in the Roman world. And so normally what would happen if, if a slave ran away they would do their best to disappear into society. And so there's some options. Let me give you some options about what a runaway slave would have done. They would have joined a group of robbers or raiders, and they would have kind of disappeared into the subculture of of gangs, really. They would have joined a gang because you don't have anything. You, you You can't show up and get a job as a runaway slave. You need to disappear. And so you'd in essence, you'd go into one of these gangs of robbers or raiders that attacked people when they were traveling and you'd find some community, you'd find some hope, if you will, in that kind of setting. You might go to a big city And just try to be invisible, to disappear, to not be noticed. Uh, You might go abroad, flee the country altogether, get out of Dodge, go away from where anybody would know you or recognize you, from where your owner would show up and see you. Or you could seek asylum in a temple. And Onesimus does none of these things. He does something very, very different and, and very, very strange almost. Instead of all of that, he seeks out Paul, this great Christian leader, this apostle. Now, that might not be too strange, except for Paul is currently in jail. Whether that means house arrest or actually sitting in a jail cell, we don't know. But uh, Paul is, is not a free person. And that's weird, right? Like... Uh, to show up exactly where you don't want to go, and, and it's, pretty, it's pretty accepted that this doesn't mean that Onesimus was arrested and thrown into jail with Paul, somehow he seeks out Paul <laughs> amongst the Roman jailers and, and all of that, right, like the last place you want to go, it's like robbing a bank and, and going to the county jail and saying, oh, I need to talk to a guy here, just seems like a really terrible idea. And you ask as you approach this book, why? I mean, why would he do this? And and the answer is pretty simple, and that is that Philemon was a Christian, and not only was he a Christian, he was a Christian who was very close to Paul. Listen to the language throughout this book. Verse 1, this is Paul writing, To Philemon, our dear friend and fellow worker. Verse 2, and to the church that meets in your home. Philemon has a church meeting in his house. Verse 6, your partnership with us in the faith. Talking to Philemon. Verse 7, your love has given me great joy and encouragement because you, brother, have refreshed the hearts of the Lord's people. Verse 17, if you consider me a partner. Verse 19, you owe me your very self. Verse 22, prepare a guest room for me. So what do we see here? What's the picture that we're, we're seeing? Philemon is a man who is, is, a, is a Christian, he is a committed Christian, he's not only a committed Christian, but he's a minister in some way, I mean he allows for a, a, a church to meet in his house, it says that he's partnered with Paul, that he's a co-worker with Paul, which means that uh, even though he was a successful businessman, we can gather because he owns slaves and because he has a house big enough for a church to meet in. Uh, even though those things are true, he had taken time away from those, those business ventures in order to travel with Paul and help Paul in his ministry. He's done evangelistic work in the known Roman world, and he's extremely close to Paul. So close to Paul that, that Paul just says, hey, prepare a guest room for me for when I get out of jail. I mean, how many people in your life, there's hopefully some, but how many people can you just say that to? do to? Like, hey, I'm going to be in your town, you know, can you have a bed ready for me? Can I stay the night when I'm traveling through? It, you have to be pretty close to a person for that, right? I think in terms of a lot because of one church book that I read once about this, this book presented this idea of refrigerator rights, and that is to say, like, Houses that you can go to and just open the refrigerator, and, and the book was—it was one of my least favorite church books I've ever read. However, they made the point that that the more people that have refrigerator rights in a church, the stronger your church will be because it means that there's connection. And so, and this has probably happened to your house. I've made it a point to open people's refrigerators in our church. I just tried to backwards engineer that, right? Like, well, we're not that close, but let's see what you got in here. Um, And and I I really, I've made it up. It's the only thing I got from that book. It was a stupid book. Um, But that, I will now open your refrigerators. And Paul has refrigerator rights with Philemon. He's like, hey, I'm coming over. When I get out of jail, I'm going to be spending the night there uh, in a town that is pretty famous biblically called Colossi, uh, which had the church named, that, that we have the book to, called Colossians. Perhaps the church that meets in Philemon's house. And so there's this closeness. And so Onesimus understands that there's probably no person in the world that has more influence over his owner than Philemon. And he's desperate, right? He's wronged him. He wasn't a very good slave to begin with. And now he's run away. It's like, I'm going to be beaten. I'm going to be branded. I'm going to be thrown in prison. I'm going to be killed. I mean, this is bad. What am I going to do? That Paul guy could probably talk him into helping me out, forgiving me. That's the only, it's the only chance I have here. And so he seeks out Paul because Paul has just incredible influence over the entire church, right? I mean, he is the apostle. He is one of the key Christian leaders, but not only that, he has this incredible relationship with Philemon. He has refrigerator rights And that's a pretty good spot, right? When somebody has given authority plus earned authority because of the respect and the relationship that exists. So Onesimus, he goes to jail and he he finds Paul and he says, help me. And what he doesn't expect is what we could have expected if we know anything about the apostle Paul. Paul doesn't begin with saying, let me help you out by writing a letter, by speaking to Philemon, Paul says, guessing, let me help you out. Let me tell you about Jesus and how he can be your savior. Because what happens is that Onesimus becomes a Christian. He comes to believe that Jesus died for his sins and rose again. And out of that, immediately it seems... He begins to minister to Paul who's in jail. He begins to help Paul in Paul's ministry efforts when Paul can't really do the ministry that he wants to do. This is pretty incredible. And Paul gains an affection for this slave. Which again, as you read this, and I'm not gonna read a ton of these verses, but but even in the way that Paul talks about this person in society who's supposed to be lesser, supposed to be a slave, he's supposed to not matter. Paul is a Roman citizen, Paul is extremely educated, Paul is important, Paul is respected, Paul has the opportunity to speak to councils and political leaders. And Paul talks about Onesimus like he is the most important person in the world. And what happens is Paul, over time, as he builds this relationship with this new Christian He writes a letter, and he sends Onesimus back because he realizes probably two things. It would be wrong in his relationship with Philemon to harbor this runaway slave, but even more, this would have been a big punishment for Paul, and Paul was driven by one thing and one thing alone, and that is spreading the gospel. Paul may not have been as concerned with social reform as we would have liked, Um, But he was very much so driven by letting everybody know that Jesus was the Savior. And that should dictate, and this is what we're going to see in the letter. That changes not only our relationship with God, but it changes our relationship with others. And that's really what this book is about. Because the key phrase in the book, like it is in other places for Paul, is in Christ Christ. He says this multiple times. He says variations of it in this little short book. In Christ. And for Paul, the idea that just permeates his letters when he's writing to a church or writing to this individual Philemon is simply this. When we become Christians... Our entire identity gets surrounded, it gets encompassed, becomes wrapped up in our relationship with God. It drives our purpose, our morals, our hopes, our dreams. It drives everything, whether that be in our relationship with God or our relationship with other people. And more and more, I think we forget this second part, We think that being a Christian changes our relationship with God. If we're Christians, if we're not Christians, that's what we think of when we think of Christianity. Like, it allows for us to have a relationship with God. It allows for God to forgive us. It allows for God to bring us into his presence now and for eternity. But what's so clear in Paul's writings in the entire New Testament, even in the words of Jesus is that being a Christian not only allows for us to have a great relationship with God, to have a relationship with God at all, it allows for us to have a great relationship with other people, a relationship that knows no social bounds. And that's that's what he says in this book. And before I read just a couple of things that he says to Philemon, about Philemon's relationship with Onesimus and what it should look like going forward. What you need to understand, and again, we may not like this, but what we need to understand is that forgiveness for Philemon would have come with an incredible cost. It would have come with a social cost because people around him would have looked at him as weak and hurting the very system that allowed for the, their economy to be what it was. If Onesimus shows back up and Philemon gives him a hug, then, then the neighboring people that own slaves, you can see how, how they're going to be like, wait, dude, like, what's that going to do for our relationship with our slaves? So there would have been a social cost. There would have been a financial cost. Philemon, uh, Onesimus has already cost him money, but to, but to have him come back and to forgive him and to treat him well is 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 going to perhaps cause other slaves that he owns to not work as hard, to maybe run away too. And so there is a cost we don't like and we're bothered by because we say, well, that's an easy cost, right? But for a first century Roman person, this is gonna be a real debate. And let me just stop and pause and say, well, it's nothing like slavery. We feel some of that social pressure, right? Like if I forgive you, it will cost me something, Other people might not think I'm tough. Other people will see me as weak. Other people will will treat me worse because, look, I've forgiven you. What's to stop them from treating me bad too? And, And so we can, a little, I mean, a little, on a different level, in a different social way, say, yeah, I mean, every time we forgive, it costs us something, right? Every time. And so Paul writes this letter with great tact, really dances, he dances, I mean, more than Paul does anywhere else in all of scripture, he dances around what he's really saying, but he calls for forgiveness and he calls for this relationship between Philemon, slave owner, and slave to be based on something bigger than social norms. And the first place that we see that, the strongest place, the most important place for me today, because I think it's life-changing for us and our relationships, and I think it would be world-changing if we thought in these terms, is is from verses 8 and 9, and there it says, therefore, although in Christ I could be bold, excuse me, and order you to do what you ought to do, yet I prefer to appeal to you on the basis of love the basis of love. That phrase, just when I opened the book, it just, it just hit me. Like how important is that concept? I appeal to you on the basis of love. It, it, it's too directional, right? Like Paul is saying, look, I could be bold with you. I could just say you need to do this because it's the right thing and I'm If you don't, then you're kicked out of the church and we're going to take away your ministry and it's not going to go well for you. I'm going to pray that God strikes you dead. You know, I could appeal to you on that basis, but instead, I want to appeal to you on the basis of love. But on the other side of that, what he's saying, I think, or at least what comes through, is hey, I could just list for you the rights and wrongs of how you ought to operate for the basis of your relationship with Onesimus, the slave that's run away from you. But instead, instead, I just want you to operate on the basis of love. This is what I mentioned earlier that we already know, but we sometimes forget. Our relationships with everybody should be on the basis of love. The decisions we make, the way that we treat others, the way that we respond to others, the way that we think about others, it should all be on the basis of of love. I mean, when this book is written, the, the only basis... For a slave-slave owner relationship was societal norms and the societal norms were simply this a slave is the property of the slave owner and the master can do whatever they want to them and with them that was the basis of the relationship and Paul comes along and just cuts through all of the list of rules that he might give. Hey, when you deal with the slave, do this. And when you do with the slave, deal with the slave, you shouldn't do this. And when you punish Onesimus, do this. Instead, he says, look, here's, here's, here's the difference. Here's what being a Christian does to your relationship. It takes away all of the social norms, all of the class system, all of the ideas about how we should treat a person, and it underscores it with one single idea, and that is that relationship should stand and fall on the basis of love. That's it. And man, I don't, I don't see it. I don't even see it from Christians. Christians. Since when we think about slavery, we think about race relations, because in our history, uh, slavery was was black and white issue, right? I just, I don't see relationships and responses to political issues being driven by love. I've said this before it's one of my favorite things I've ever said in a sermon and so I'm just going to say it again because you probably forgot but uh, if your response to hearing that a black person was killed by a cop is anything like they probably deserved it then you're not thinking on the basis of love On the opposite side, if you just broad paint all cops as evil and don't think about them in any type of godly way, then, then you're not probably basing your relationships on, on love. You're just a bigot of a different kind. I think we've, we've lost what's at the heart of Philemon, even in Christian circles, We've based our relationships on political parties. We've based our our relationships on pushing our agendas. We've based our relationships on what is best for us. We've based our relationships on on what people around us are doing, whether we like people, whether they're kind of in the same social or financial class as us, whether they are the same race as us, whether they have the same ethnic background as us. And Paul undercuts it all. He can't abolish slavery. But he can lay a foundation that will cause it to die. And as I preached to you this morning, I I can't get rid of all bad relationships in the world, but I can tell you that what can begin to fix race relations, what can heal political divides, what can fix your family's broken dynamics, what can heal marriages, what can help with your relationship with your kids, is simply simply this. Allow for all of your relationships to be based upon love. Let the basis of love be at the center and the heart of every single one of your relationships. Now, we think, we think sometimes that that means we can't, we can't speak truth. That like, well, if I, and, and society's lied to us in this way. Like, well, if, if I try to, to say that something is true and somebody else disagrees with it, then automatically that disqualifies me from love. But there's this phrase in the Bible, Paul doesn't write it, a guy named John writes it. And it's one of my favorite phrases in scripture because it's, uh, it's such a foreign idea to us, we actually don't even have a good way to translate it into English, which is just a coincidence that we also don't seem to think that it can be a real thing. But the phrase comes from 1 John, and I've preached on it before, but, but the phrase is truthing in love. It's the verbal form of truth with the word love, truthing in love. And as I preach on allowing all relationships to be based upon love, I can hear the response like, well, does that mean I can't even share the gospel with people because they'll be offended? Does that mean that I can't take a stance for right and wrong? No. But even when you're telling the truth, you must be truthing in love. Truthing in love. Romans 13, 8 through 10 virtually says the same thing. The law. If I would have asked at the very beginning of my sermon, what should be at the center of our relationships, almost all of you would have said love, right? Like if you've been in a church, if you've grown up in church, even if you haven't, you probably would say it. But are we really taking seriously? Are we really, really taking seriously? this call for all of our relationships to be based on love. Because that's what Paul calls Philemon to. And he expands on it. Verses 15 and 16. Perhaps the reason he was separated from you for a little while was that you might have him back forever. No No longer as a slave, but better than a slave, as a dear brother. He is very dear to me, but even dearer to you, both, (laughs) I love this, as a fellow man, and as a brother in the Lord, we've demonized people on the opposite side so much that we don't even see them as people anymore, right? We just see them by their race, or their political party, or their, you know, whatever, whatever is different than us. And he looks, and he says, especially as it, Pertains to Christian relationships we don't see each other as slave and master. we don't see each other as Republican and Democrat. We see each other as brother and sister. One author said the caste and honor system that regulated social relationship was inimical to Christian ethics. The truth of the gospel breaks down social barriers and dethrones. Cultural indoctrination. Man, our Christian relationships, they got to look like family and not like what everybody else is doing in society. I don't think they do. I really don't. I don't think they do. It's easy to say, oh, I'll base my relationships on love. But it's harder to live that out and say, I'm going to treat you like a brother or a sister, no matter how different we are, or no no matter how far society says we should be separated and far apart and be angry at each other. Everything about our society is trying to divide us. It's trying hard. It sells, I was going to say newspapers, but that's not thing because it doesn't really, newspapers don't even sell anymore. It sells blog post advertising. I mean, you and I, we don't read things that are middle ground. (laughs) We read the arguments. And so they just work to divide us. The system, the world, as the Bible describes, has always, not just in our modern day America, the world, the satanic system that permeates every part of society has always worked to create division and divide. It's why there will always be wars. But Christianity says, let's, let's base our relationship on love, our relationships on love, and let's treat each other as brothers and sisters. But Paul's not finished, he says one other thing, and you you should read the whole book. I promise I'm not just ripping things out of context. Verse 21, he says this one last thing that would be world-changing. Verse 21 says, confident of your obedience, I write to you knowing that you will do even more than I ask. This isn't like a minimum thing, right? It's not like, oh, I can kind of get along with them. Paul is calling for Philemon to go above and beyond with Onesimus. Probably what he's asking is for him to set him free. We're reading between lines. For Paul to say that outright would have been really just against, like, it it wouldn't have worked. Probably just would have caused a a negative reaction in Philemon. But it seems to be what he's asking, set him free. I want you to take him back as a brother. I want you to forgive him. And oh, maybe you could do something else because he could really help me in ministry. Maybe you could just go above and beyond what I'm asking because he could really, we, he could be useful to us in spreading the gospel. And even if we're trying to live out love in our relationships, we're just, we just do the minimal thing. Well, I'm not gonna respond in an angry way But what Paul is calling for is to go above and beyond. I feel like between Matt, who preaches fairly frequently at our church, and me, we use this illustration all the time. But if you know the story Les Les Miserables, if you know the movie, there's this incredible scene where Jean Valjean has uh, run away from prison and he's gone into uh, the presence of a priest and the priest is very kind to him he feeds him he helps him out gives him a place to stay for the night and, and then jean valjean in the middle of the night he, he steals the candlesticks he hits the priest and he runs away he's picked up by by some police officers and he's brought back to the priest and when the priest sees him he says jean valjean i'm very angry with you you forgot to take the silverware And the police let him go and and he looks at him and he says, in the movie version, uh, with this silver I've bought your soul and given it back to God. And in the book version, which I read for the first time in preparing for this sermon, Jean Valjean, and and this happens in the movie too, but he's just stunned. He's just silent. He's just like staring like, is this real? And it changes his life. Love can change our culture. Treating people as brothers and sisters can tra- change our, our culture and our relationships. But when we go above and beyond, when we really offer grace, that's when things really start to move. This is the gospel, right? Why should we do it? Why? Why? They're on the opposite side. They're different than us. Why? And, and the true answer lies in in the gospel story, because what God did for us, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us, When we were enemies of God, he still loved us. He looked down from us, saw us rejecting him, saw us slandering him, saw us just going against what he had called and commanded us to do, just basically saying, God, we don't care anything about you. And in the midst of that, he stepped out of his heavenly throne, down from his heavenly throne. He came to earth, lived sinlessly, died on a cross, the most brutal, horrific death the world has ever known. And then after three days, he rose again. God gave his life for us. He offered us grace even though we were on the opposite side. And we should too. But here's, here's what I love about this story. It's not that over time, and this is true, that, that what Paul writes in his epistles they permeate culture in such a way that slavery is abolished and, and women are treated better. I mean, that's incredible. But what, what touches me emotionally in this story is what you don't know if you read Philemon by itself. And that's, that's this. It seems Philemon listens. And he bases this relationship on love. And he treats Onesimus as a brother and he sets him free. And, and why do we know this? Because in Colossians 4, 7 through 9, Colossians, you know, this church that may have met in Philemon's house, this letter written to the church, this is what we read. Tychicus will tell you all the news about me. He's a dear brother, a faith, faithful minister and fellow servant in the Lord. I am sending him to you for the express purpose that you may know about our circumstances and that he may encourage your hearts. Listen to this. He is coming with Onesimus, our faithful and dear brother, who is one of you. They will tell you everything that is happening here. Tradition tells us that Onesimus became the bishop of Ephesus. Ephesus. And he followed right after a guy named Timothy who has a book named after him in the Bible. Wikipedia. Wikipedia summed it up in the best possible way. This is what basing a relationship on love and treating somebody as a brother or sister and going above and beyond and representing and reflecting the grace of God in your relationships can do. Wikipedia says this about Onesimus, from slave to brother to bishop. And I just wonder, I just wonder, if you base your relationships on love, think about a relationship that seems severed, that seems difficult because they're on the opposite side or because they wronged you at some point because they did something to you. Just consider, if you said, I will treat you on the basis of love, I will treat you as a brother and sister and I will go out of my way to bless you even though I have no moral obligation to do so. Just think about how it might change that person's life this book is about right relationships based on forgiveness and love and what it says and I quote there is no disgrace in giving way to a friend who serves God at such cost to himself let me read that again because forgiveness and love it will cost you something but there is no disgrace in giving way to a friend who serves God at such a cost To himself Whatever broken relationships you have Whatever broken relationships our society has They can begin to be mended Fixed, healed If we will act on the basis of love And so this morning I ask I really do The world will not follow suit. This sermon will not touch every every heart or every ear. But in this room, we have the opportunity to start something. Where we don't respond or act or think on the basis of societal norms or our political party or our race. But we begin to act on the basis of love. And I believe that if we will, it will spread. And our culture, I do, I believe our entire culture can be changed if you will take this seriously. And so this morning, would you please make a decision to act on the basis of love? Let me pray that you will. Lord Jesus, the country we live in is, in my humble opinion, the greatest on earth still, but it seems to be deteriorating in large part because people are rejecting you and your gospel. But as a byproduct of that God. We've lost our, our desire to base our relationships on love. And I've said in the past God our society what it's done is, is it's eroded our relationship with you in such a way that it's caused uh, family relationships to be eroded and that's trickled into the church God and and we see God churches that split and argue and fight and and God and that's trickled into our country and now I just see God uh, hatred and discord calls for civil war Lord Like literally calls for civil war and I want revival because God I want people in heaven with me I want revival because I want to see our our nation morally God just look more like you've called us to look but I also want revival God because I think it is the only way that some of these deep-seated societal problems can be fixed Lord the picture of heaven that we have in your word is multi-racial and multi-ethnic and filled with, with poor and rich Every kind of person, and if we're serious about you, God, and if more and more people will be serious about you and basing our relationships on love, we can see churches that look like that. We can see communities that look like that. And so I pray, God, I guess what I'm praying, I'm just talking, but I am just. I just pray that your spirit would fall in such a powerful way that we who are here this morning and we who are Christians around this great country would begin again to base our relationships on love and it would spread into our culture, God, and change this country that we live in for the better. I ask these things in your holy name, amen.